Hold the Line with Mike Solon is brought to you by the Seattle Police Officers Guild, Seattle's public safety voice. Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. Today in studio, another very special guest, one that I think uh, you probably heard before. I have the Seattle Police Department Chief, Chief Adrian Diaz in the house. We're going to have a good conversation, everything revolving public safety, cops, and uh, life in general. So, Chief, welcome to uh, to Spog's podcast. Hold the line, and uh, hey, man, I wanted to say thanks thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So, for people that don't know uh, who you are, I think they'd be interested in getting your background. Like, who is Adrian Diaz that wanted to be a eventually become a cop, and then you became a cop here? How long you've been on, and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know how I got here, really. I mean, at the end of the day, you start to think about your childhood, and uh, you start, you know, figuring out. I actually came up to live with my grandma when I was in high school. Um, I left an area where I knew I wasn't doing very well in school, and uh, and realized I needed kind of that change and, and spark. And I think, you know, the first day I came up, uh, my dad took me over to the wrestling coach and said, uh, "If he's not with me, he's going to be with you." And uh, um, I spent, you know, just training and wrestling and just practicing and just, you know, and then I was digging ditches cause my dad opened up a plumbing business. And, uh, so that's kind of where I started, you know, in, in, in the Seattle area back in 91 and, uh, blue collar roots right there. Yeah. And so, and I enjoyed it, you know, I, I, it was good because I had good mentors. Actually, one of my, the, my wrestling coach's son was, uh, all American at Stanford wrestling and, uh. And I literally spent every day wrestling and just, you know, drilling with them. And um, so, you know, you have good people in your life and they're always trying to get you to, to you know, really work hard and really, you know, uh, get yourself to that next level. And and then uh, somehow, you know, my brother came out of the military. He joined the Seattle Police Department. Um, I thought maybe that is an avenue that I wanted to go down. I actually was, uh, was running grocery stores. I was, uh, you know, uh, grocery management. And uh, working for Albertsons, I had actually worked uh, for QFC and opened up the Rainier McClellan store. Did you? And, yeah, many, many moons ago. And uh, and so, you know, I ended up finding myself doing, uh, you know, testing out. I actually tested with LAPD, tested with Seattle. Uh, I got hired in uh, 97 with LAPD, and uh, they gave me the same academy date for Seattle, and I stayed with Seattle. Because you got local family here? Yeah, my brother had already been on the job three years, yeah. and uh, and so I found myself saying, you know, gosh, you know, my brother already had a good experience with it, and, uh, you know, they're, they're wanting to hire me. They're giving me the same academy date uh, I, that I have to move back to, you know, California, and uh, and actually, the I actually just met last year uh, one of the people that was would have been in my same academy class. Uh, from LAPD. No way. Yeah, and her name was Nicole. She's a lieutenant there. And um, so it's kind of interesting that, you know, just to oh, get yeah, where I'm life, in, the path you choose. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I found myself doing uh, this job. And, you know, honestly, I, I, I stayed in patrol for eight and a half years. And, uh, you know, I got to work in a lot of different units, um, you know, training and doing uh, anti-crime team and 
working undercover and mountain bike patrol. And, um, and then it was really actually interesting because my brother, I actually was partners with my brother for a year. Working patrol. Working patrol. They allowed that. They that's, allowed that back in the day. That's pretty cool. I know. It's kind of, it was really nice, you know, so uh, we, we lived together. We had, you know, um, working together. And I think that's, you know, some of those best memories that you'll have, you know, you have, you work with a lot of different people, a lot of great people, but uh, you always remember that time that uh, you got with your, your brother. And, yeah. Um, See, he's the chief. He's, he's busy. This phone is, uh, he's <laughs> got, hey, something going on. <laughs> no. So, so yeah, you know, and then, um, you know, honestly, I, I think I tried it out, you know, thought maybe after the first year I'd see what I, you know, what, what I think about the job and, um, you know, 26 years later, I'm still 26. Yeah. So you came on two years before me. So yeah. I've, I'm a, about three years. Okay. Underneath you, you. Were you at 99 or 2000? N- late 99. Uh, yeah. Yeah. November, um, yeah. class 501 down okay. at, uh, what would that be off in North, Northeast Seattle? Yeah, we were 481. Right off Lake Washington. Sandpoint Way. Yeah, Sandpoint. Sandpoint, 481, class 481. Okay, so it's, yeah. It's, so I just wish the department of the city would have held on to that property. We would have had a great training facility. And that's one of the questions I want to ask you later on in the podcast. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent. You mentioned wrestling. That's a great skill. Yeah. Right? As well as just being a plumber and having your hand, that, that, that the trades and having the knowledge. It's it's great, you know, experience. But um, how did... Why did you want to keep ascending the ranks to get you where you are today? What, what was the drive there? You know, probably bad supervision. Um, uh, really? Yeah. So to be honest with you, it, you know, I had, I had never actually had thoughts about, about being a supervisor or anything like that. Uh, I actually had, you know, tested for SWAT, um, really wanted to get into that, that we had the hire and freeze. I was literally one of the next ones on the list. Uh, Gohagen was before me. He got on and, and the list stopped. Um, and, uh, so I was, you know, I, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just had to, so I really pushed the department to do a actual train, um, uh, um, week. Uh, so we were pushing out for street skills. That's when we didn't have any level of training. We were getting two hours worth of training. We were doing, uh, arm bars from our knees, I don't know if you remember that oh day. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. archaic stuff. <laughs> it, it so was. So if, if you don't know what uh, the street skills is, it basically yeah. it's our in-service SPD training where you train the cops that are doing the job how to perform basic what uh, arrest techniques or, or basic defensive tactics um, moves to obviously make you a better cop as you do your job. So yeah. that's kind of what it is. And, to, and, and then we've, we've evolved from... From that, from Basic that wrestling, yeah. defensive tactics, and then arm bar from your yeah. knees, that stuff, to where we are today, which I think is world class. Well, and, and so, you know, I'd, I'd push for it. And, you know, people were upset that I'd push for, for training and um, for that level of training. I'd wrote a lot of stuff to the legal advisors and, you know, caused probably a little bit of headache for, for the command staff. And so, you know, I had basically been told that I wasn't smart enough. I lived it. I lived in a vacuum and I wasn't going to, you know, go anywhere. And it was actually... I wrote a, a memo into the what we called trainings and concerns for into the Guardian. It's actually in in the in Union the, newspaper. The Febu- February, Union yeah, February of two thousand two. I wrote that really uh, training concerns. And it was actually you were a sergeant back then, weren't you? I was an officer. Were you still an officer then? And uh, wrote about actually, you know, just doing an evaluation of your force because it allows you to train to what you need. Where, where there where there's a gap in training, so yeah. that it allows you to 
which is our enforced review board, which is all the stuff that we, 10 years later, were mandated under the consent decree. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I, like I said, I got a lot of crap and, um, I wasn't, uh, very well liked by, uh, the command staff. And, um, so I honestly thought my career was probably going to be, uh, not in, in the, you know, not going, not anywhere. going anywhere. Yeah. And so, um, and actually, uh, around 2005, we had a number of homicides in South Park. I was doing my master's and, uh, I wrote up just a, a, a paper on you know, basically community governance how do you get community involved on the same mission uh, to focus on a, on a problem? And uh, at the time, Gil Kurlikowski said, okay, you have six months to implement something. And, um, didn't think anything of it, so I, they pulled me out of patrol mm-hmm. and uh, started working for, at that time, Deputy Chief uh, Diaz. and um, John Diaz. Yeah, John Diaz, and uh, no relation. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Six months later, we found some really, really good outcomes. We, you know, we didn't have any homicides at that point. Uh, the mayor invested $1.7 million to, into the project, and, um, you know, it really took off because we didn't – it almost went almost about 12 years before we had another youth-related homicide in the community. And then, uh, and then we had five homicides under the age of 18 throughout the city in 2008. Um, and Alan Joplin was the last one over it, right in front of Garfield uh, yeah. steps on October 31st. And uh, they had said, hey, we'd like you to your input into uh, create an initiative. And so I started architecting what we now what was referred to at that time, the Seattle Youth Violence Prevention Initiative. Mm. So I started working with the mayors. I started working with other city departments, just kind of thinking a little bit differently. And uh, you just never know how the your path is. But, you know, the what I found myself in a very unique position was that I was reporting to a deputy chief building up these initiatives uh, for the city. Um, but I was an officer and, you know, it puts a very uncompromising position to have an officer, you know, being making decisions for at city level. Yeah, and, no doubt. I bet you that ruffled some feathers too. <laughs> it did. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, you find yourself like people saying a lot of stuff and I said, you know, Look, I'm just trying to get stuff done. It's not, you know, my my responsibility is is to the city. Like people might not like it, you know. It's kind of different than this in the typical typical structure where you have a sergeant, lieutenant, a captain, etc. And um, and I realized like I needed to just start taking the test. And so I took the test several times. So right then you made a decision to start promoting. Yeah, and so I and honestly I thought maybe just even a sergeant lieutenant would be um, good and. Uh, and so I, I took several tests on the sergeants, didn't do very well. And, um, and eventually I got promoted to, to sergeant. And yeah, I just interrupt real quick. I, I would say that, you know, public safety civil service exams, I mean, it, they're obviously geared towards anybody can take them. Yeah. But what it doesn't do, it doesn't really build a leader. Yeah. Right. Because anybody can take the test. And if you do well academically on it, here you are, you get promoted. Well, it's not based upon your leadership style or what have you. And that's why I think, you know, maybe we could address that, but yeah, it has to be right now. The current system is, is basically, mo- you know, moderate and anybody can take it to have a fair way of looking at things. But I would like to see a more cultivation of leadership because, you know, we have people that are good test takers, but to your point, you know, you didn't weren't that great in the, the, the test. Yeah. And then, well, it was actually funny because the last uh, test that I took, uh, there, you know, there's three segments to the test, you know, typically a tactical Tactical was actually my best, and and that was you know people go well gosh you didn't 
you've been away from patrol. You didn't have, you know, uh, other tactical experience. And I was like, no, I, I actually was, you know, a, um, a command leader for LEIU, for, for uh, WTO, had a lot of different experience. But that was actually my best score. My worst score was community outreach, which I, which one no I was I doing? Really? Oh, I got like forty percent on on the community outreach question. Well, maybe the questions <laughs> were terrible. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I started laughing. You know, just you just you just realize that sometimes, you, to your point, it, some people just have a better way of approaching a test, yeah. and um, it's not always reflective of who you have. And so you do look at like you know the military has like a three sixty degree leaderships you know segment where you're. So, you know, the, the people below you are, are evaluating you, the people mm-hmm. above you are evaluating you. And you want to get a, a better, a good perspective of that. And I think that trying to figure out how do you do that uh, in a testing process would be very, very important. And I'm not saying that that's the system, but that's just some of the ideas that you'd kind of want to lead to. I mean, it takes some of the stuff from the military because that's what we're, we're built on. We're built on a paramilitary system. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so uh, I'd taken the sergeant's test, um, and at that time, I didn't uh, think about promotion. My, you know, my um, uh, at that time, uh, Chief Diaz or he, John Diaz, had uh, gotten to be the chief and put me over to the gang unit. So I was actually um, doing the, all the work that I was still doing in the with the mayor's office, but I was doing it in because offset segment of the gang unit. Were you doing um, follow-up work, or were you, just, no. were you still doing your yeah. out, youth no, outreach? No, it's all the youth outreach. Okay, gotcha. And so at that time, it was uh, 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 Wilski was the lieutenant, um, and then he switched over to homicide, and then uh, Chief Best came in as a lieutenant and uh, started working for her. And, um, you know, you build those relationships, you build yeah. those connections, and, uh, and actually she had, at that time, had tested with to be a chief uh, in another city. Okay. And I helped her through that process. Uh, at that time, she didn't get the, the, the position. But uh, my one of my friends, through that experience, said, hey, why don't you test to be a chief in another city? I was a sergeant. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put my application. It was the last day of putting my application. It was for a city in, called Woodland, California. It's right outside of uh, Sacramento. And uh, didn't think anything of it. And then I got a call and got interviewed. I got another call and got interviewed again. They sent me down there, got interviewed. Whoa, getting and, some traction. Yeah, and so the, the last day they, they said, hey, we're going to only interview two people to be the chief, and uh, there are six people that were going through this testing process. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of strange. I didn't, I'm just a sergeant. Like, there, everybody else had been an assistant chief or chief. And, uh, and so... They uh, they get to the final group, and they call me up, and so they're like, "It's just me and another chief from Texas," and uh, so, so we made the final two. Made it to the city manager, and um, and uh, then the, the chief from Texas ended up getting the job, and uh, but the city manager had pulled me aside and said, "You know, look, I was planning on hiring the chief from Texas uh, almost from the very early onset of it, and um, uh, but you." the way you talk, the way you speak and the way you think about things are completely different. And it actually just gave me some interest to, to potentially look at you. And, uh, and so I, you know, at that time you kind of think, well, okay, maybe I could do this job mm. as a chief, you know, you know, it literally it was just kind of on a whim. Yeah. And, um, and then you, you know, then I end up taking the lieutenant's test at that time just to see how I was going to do just to kind of get an idea of, 
with the testing. I did well enough. And I got promoted, and and then the rest came kind of interesting. You know, I skipped the rank to, of captain, and went to assistant chief, did assistant chief for a couple of years, deputy chief for one month, and then been the chief. Well, going on two and a half, almost three years now. There you go. So, well, hey, congratulations because um, you know that's it. You had to go, I guess, go through some hoops and yeah. have some experiences to get to the level that you are. And you recently promoted what? I would say what, over two months ago now. Two months now. Two months. So congratulations to Thank you. you. Um, it's it's great from the union perspective to to have somebody internal yeah. versus somebody external yeah. because the internal person knows the department in and out, knows the personalities, and then. I think we have a better, you know, understanding of each other. And to me, you know, the union and command, you're always going to have that divide. Yeah. And, but in order to get business done, to keep prog- progress moving forward, you got to good, build good relationships. So I would say that the union's got a good working relationship with you. Yeah. Uh, we disagree on a lot of things. Oh, yeah. But I think more importantly, we, we handle business internally and we get stuff done. So, um, and sometimes we go public against each other, yeah. but for the most part, I think we're starting to see some progress and getting some work done. No. And as, as you know, when I, when we took over, when I took over in 2020, you know, we were still in the riots. We were still in the midst of, of a lot of turmoil. We were losing officers left and right. And, uh, you know, it, it's been such a hardship for our officers. And, um, and I, I, I feel like, you know, I just, when you would walk into, a roll call room or you'd walk into some of the special events cause you're literally, you know, pulling people uh, on a nightly basis together and you just see their faces. It's just the very soul and sulking and oh, yeah. sunken in. And, um, you're, you're trying the worst to worst morale I've ever, you know, the worst morale I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and then you even talk to like some of the officers that re- had, had retired before that and realized this isn't the same city. It's not the same. Yeah, cause I was going to ask you that question. It's a good segue. Um, from when you started in, you said, 97, to where we are today with this agency, there's been a, been a lot of change. A huge. Huge amount of change. Yeah. Um, some good, some bad. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think 2020, we need to always remember that year, as I think it was extremely historical yeah. in its impact on not only just the profession across the nation, but just this agency alone. I was just tired. I went to the retired officers association at lunch the other day. There's an officer or you know, one of the officers there had been there, um, retired 45 years. And so you're asking them, you know, the questions about what the department was 45 years ago. And then his experience, cause he spent 35 years in the department. So you're thinking about like, well, he started 75 years ago. Mm-hmm. Think about like the cars, think about what, what, call boxes oh, were geez, the technology yeah, the uniforms none of that was you know all of this is different now we're talking about ai technology we're talking about driverless cars we're talking about you know people are talking about all sorts of different types of, yeah. of equipment that is is no one even thought about that you know 75 years ago and so just grabbing that experience from people is just immense and i think you know when they look back at the department and they say what happened in 2020 and and, and then even to where we're at now, you know, I think we're far above where we were in 2020. I mean, people are not throwing rocks at us. They're not, you know, shooting at us right now. I mean, and I say that in a, in a loose sense of, of the po- politics, not, not in the streets, because we have had some officers being shot at. But I'm talking about 
just the the political side of it. Mm-hmm. Things are kind of calming down. The rhetoric is, you know, calming down. And, uh, and we're finally starting to get back to that level of police work that we needed to get back to. Yeah. Well, it's about the service, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, this agency is not a reflection of what occurred in 2020. I mean, I think we're, you know, I always go to this and say we were that modeled reformed agency. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, but, but here we are three years later, yeah, chief, and we're, we're absolutely struggling. I mean, we had, but we had put out like we had accomplished our, our consent decree stuff and we were ready to, to be out of the consent Terminated, decree. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, after 2020 hit that reset button and, and, you know, I think, um, the officers are really resilient. They know their work. They know what, they know what needs to be done. And they did it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally over the last couple of years, they've accomplished everything that they needed to accomplish. Uh, soon we're going to be very, very close to, to pushing out, uh, you know, being out of the, you know, some aspect of this consent decree and some, you know, in, in some relation. And, uh, and again, a testament to the work of the officers, you know, the chiefs come and go, you know, command staffs come and go, but it's the officers that are doing the work. Yeah. So how speaking of officers, how, what is the, What's the department's number in terms of how many cops we've lost in the three years? Yeah, so we ha- we lost over about 525. So it's 186, 171, and 163 uh, officers each year yeah. um, over the last three years. And uh, so over 525. And um, we hired probably about 160 over the last three years. So we're we're down close to about one our 375 or so. What do you attribute that to? Why have we lost so many people in three years? <laughs> well, I mean, feeling valued and respected. I mean, you, when you when you're in the midst of of 2020, you know, we we pretty much were kind of left abandoned. You know, we found out partnerships were canceled on Twitter. I mean, and uh, and so you know, partnerships within the community, partnerships Seattle with, public yeah. schools didn't yeah. want us on their properties. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. Resource officers embedded in schools that minority officers that grew up here in Seattle yeah. that were the youth were looking at to as role models. Yeah, role models. We're yanked. Yeah. And so it's crazy. And so when you when you have that sense of, of abandonment, mm-hmm. so officers did leave. They went to other departments where they feel like there's a level of support. And uh and I think that um now, you know, there's everybody's talking about, no, we need the police. We need those partnerships back. Yeah. We need to get back to to, you know, the safety and well being of of our youth and, and our kids and our community. And, um, and I hear just constantly, like in, in all the tough times that we've endured, like people in the community are finally, they're saying, Hey, thank you for, for the department and everything that the officers are doing. Uh, because it is, it's been extraordinary that they've, they've stayed the line, you know, they stayed here. Well, I mean, the riots for sure were very difficult. Um, and of course, there's there's outrage. What happened to Floyd? Right? I mean, yeah. it's just cops just don't do that stuff. Yeah, and that's not a reflection of SPD for sure. And I don't think it's a reflection of policing across the nation. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we have millions of contacts a year, over ten million on average. Four percent of those contacts, force is used, and out of two percent, you're basically looking at some questionable actions, mm-hmm. and that, that's a very minute amount of people. And you're talking about a profession as a whole where we have the right, basically, the authority to take people's yeah. civil liberties away from them, I think that's pretty profound. But I guess my point is, 
when we talk about the riots, yeah, the outrage, everybody has the right for a peaceful demonstration against the government. Hey, why is this occurring? Totally get that. But do you feel as if the community in Seattle is a reflection of most of the activist class that always uh, targets us? Because I don't, because my personal opinion, they're not. No. And I think what we found ourselves, you know, in a very, very precarious position in the sense of, you know, we were trying to address those actors, but we found ourselves addressing the whole crowd. And I think our tactics have now, you know, completely changed uh, in our ability to really stay focused on, on those that are really trying to harm and really trying to incite everything going on. And we brought in a crowd psychologist and that's yeah. really helped us out. But I, I think to your point is, is that no, I mean, we, we know that a lot of community members that don't believe in the, in what the activists were doing, but it caught up, it, you know, everything got caught up in the moment. And I sure. think that's where you acknowledge the impacts that you've, you know, that they were created and you figure out, okay, well, you know, again, Hey, let's, how do we do this better? And the officers, like some of the officers that are involved, say, we can do this. We can try this. We can learn from this. Yeah, and, the professionalism and, comes out and say, hey, how do we adapt to this? Because yeah. we constantly adapt, right? And, and if you think about it, we have not used a crowd control uh, uh, tool since October. Well, September 26th for blast balls and October 3rd for FN 303s. And that's over two years of, of complete another change of, of the work we do. But they really haven't had the numbers in terms of the activist groups coming up with people that are want direct action against the police. Correct. Right. I mean, so, I mean, I think if that occurs, we have that ability to do so. Exactly. Although it was tried to be, it was, if it wasn't for the consent decree, the department of justice here, I think we would have had lost a significant portion of the city in 2020. Right. I was oh, worried yeah. about the West precinct. Yeah. Right. Oh, I go West and East. I mean, we, you know, have that, the Chaz and chop zone and, uh, and, you know, it is still not, you know, um, perfect in the sense of like community has, you know, completely wrapped their arms around in the work that we do. But, uh, you know, I think that right now, when you look at the change, mm. you look at the, the numbers of what, what our crime looks like, officers are helping really drive down and having a new city attorney that's actually, you know, working on prosecuting. Um, it's a big positive it, step, right? It's a huge step. And, you know, in their numbers, people, ultimately people need to be held accountable for their actions. It's not just looking at the police and our actions. It's like, what about the offenders? Yeah. And they right? they need to be held accountable. Exactly. And when they, uh, they just came out with a, a report yesterday, just on their high utilizers and how that's working. Mm -hmm. And they've seen a huge decrease in the amount of high utilizers coming through the system. That's big for us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I try to also tell people, last year we actually made more arrests than we had in 2019. That doesn't mean that we booked more people mm -hmm. because we have booking restrictions, but we've actually made more arrests than it when we had, we have less officers. I would look, I would like to know the statistics. I don't know if you have them, but how many, it, how many of those arrests, how many cases are actually filed? Yeah. Whether well, that was a misdemeanor or is it felony either King County or Seattle? Yeah. So, and we, and we could provide that actually some of those numbers because many of those we were looking at for people that have been high utilizers, it's yeah, people yeah. that have been in and out of the system. Repeat offenders. Repeat offenders. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think now with their initiative that is hopefully helping to reduce that. Hopefully next year, this year we'll actually see a little bit of reduction in that. Um, but you, you start to think about just, you know, the amount of guns that are actually on the streets. I think that's, you know, been my, my biggest concern. It's, it's been my concern since the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. But I mean, but technically, if you look at it, and if, technically, but just philosophical conversation about if you look at the degradation of the laws being changed that prohibit us from being able to do our jobs, right? I mean, I, I used to 
do traffic stops and I would get majority of guns and dope out of traffic stops. But now it's very difficult because now you need a search warrant to get into the car. And then they're basically making it almost extremely difficult to even conduct a traffic stop. And then that's why the guns are being transported by the criminals. I mean, it's just, so we got a major problem on our hands where we've been somewhat pun intended handcuffed, right? We, we do. And, but you know, officers are pretty resilient because, you know, in the sense of last year we recovered the second most amount of guns that we have in 14 years when we tracked it. So we're still doing the work. We're still doing the work. Given how many cops we've lost. Yeah. We're doing a great work. And I think, that's what the, that's really what, you know, officers should be proud of. Like, I mean, the, January, we, we actually surpassed, uh, almost, I think every single month for gun recovery in January at 120 guns that yeah. we recovered. And, and that just it tells me that officers are still going out and trying to fight the, the, the good fight. Yeah. On. Is that message being, because I, I checked the SPD blog occasionally, the blotter, right? Mm-hmm. And is that message being boasted? Because you know, I think we could do maybe just a little bit of criticism. We could probably yeah. be doing a better job with the public affairs area of just, hey, blast that information out. Um, and then I would love to see statistics, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, of like, how do we connect the loops of how many people have been charged now? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's where I think the system is failing us. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll do the work. We'll, we'll stick our necks out there. Yeah. We'll take the criticism because yeah. we're professionals. But- Where's the back end? Yeah. Where's the justice system holding the offenders accountable after we do our work? And that's really, you know, one of the things that, that now with their city attorney, because um, obviously we could have had a, an abolitionist in, in that position. Yeah, and a disaster. Uh, and even like just, you know, probably about a month ago, we had uh, officers made two good arrests on graffiti people. And as you could imagine, they would have been. Graffiti's out of control. They're out of control. And so that would have been typically before not not addressed and yeah, probably been released and you know immediately i worked with uh, lisa manny and i was in the same meeting at that time when i got notified uh worked with ann and they were able to put all the stuff together and, and hold them and uh and that's that's a huge win mm-hmm. and so we're not completely perfect out of this the system yeah. but at least at least we're finally getting to feel like we're gelling together um, because at the end of the day officers go out we do our part we want to make sure that every other aspect does their part. Yeah, but I'm worried about we keep, um, and that's a, that's a good point that, that you bring up, but I'm worried about us having the the amount of bodies necessary to be able to continue to do our part, right? Because the, the rumors, I'm, of course, everything yeah. operates on rumors around yeah. here. But I'm, I'm hearing we're losing four from another precinct and then 12 from another precinct as of this morning. I'm just like, man, we can't absorb the losses of people. So I would say how many... How many cops do you think we need to get back to the level of um, having enough people to protect public safety? Because that's because I think that's what's on people's minds. It's not about you know more accountability for coppers. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, we yeah. fully accept accountability yeah. here. Yeah. But how many cops do we need to protect the public? We don't have enough. Oh, and and I think you know the the mayor has been very very good about noting that we need 1425 from when he, he you know from when his time in the yeah. city council and i'm going to say yeah we let's get up to 1425 and get then there? and i think right now like we've revamped all of our hiring uh, processes so now we're making it streamlined because uh, like when you get some of these agencies locally that can process people in two months and we're you know still in five six months to process people People are going to find other jobs somewhere else. So See, I'm just, yeah, I mean, that's, a, I, I like the fact that we're streamlining stuff, but my concern from just being here, being, you know, in the profession, much like yourself for a very long time, 
we saw what happens to streamlining things and then cutting corners Yeah, in Memphis, particularly. Oh, 100%. Two of those people were documented gang members, and they didn't really get past the background check where they should be. They got exemptions to get hired, which to me is lunacy. Yeah. So I'm worried about yeah. the attempt to try to get just a human being to do to, to fill a uniform here. Yeah. I'm worried about being the next Memphis. Oh no, and I, I could, we're we're still denying people left and right because they're just they, they just don't uh, have what we want. And um, and and the police in Seattle is very very difficult. So it is. you know, so it, it's that that is one thing. Like we're we're getting roughly about one tenth of every person that you know is applying. Um, We've lost, a, we've lost to just a ton of people this year yeah. alone, but yeah. we're not, we're not getting the numbers we need. So yeah. I, that's what I'm worried about. So I think that just transitions me to like, you know, you, you mentioned the mayor and he was just on June Ursula just, a, uh, I think a few days ago, I just play this brief clip where he talks about 1400 and, and talking about, Hey, we're not really meeting the recruiting means. Yeah. First of all, I think mayor Harold's doing a great job. Yeah. I do. I think he's understands the optics of the blight that Seattle uh, appears to to, to have on their streets yeah. and he's trying to clean it up. Yeah. So I commend him for his work. And this is some of his comments where we're talking about this recruiting piece. You want Seattle to be ranked number one in the nation, not number. This is the G and Ursula show in the nation. How can we you know, how can we get, what's the hangup in Seattle and SPD and recruiting and all that stuff being number one in the nation when it comes to this law enforcement? Because it looks like the numbers are not going to be where the hope was with, well, I think it was 1,400 officers. I don't think that we're going to see that 1,400. Well, I, I think we are. Okay. We will see the 1,400. I, I've already claimed it, and everyone on my team is working to claim it. So when? we will see that. When are we going to see Seattle, it? Seattle, well, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fair question. I'm not, you know, one thing about me is I don't say one thing and do another. So you'll see it over the next several years. Yeah, it's not, it's not on pace for five years as it was initially predicted. No, I think, well, see, see this is. I'll just pause right there. He seemed, you know, he he started to, you know, get a little bit frustrated, but, you know, it's because the public safety conversation is real, right? Yeah. And we're not getting the amount of people knocking on the door. So my question is, I've heard about recruiting, streamlining, all this, but I ha- what I haven't heard from our elected leaders or from command is, why hasn't the focus switched to let's getting a contract for the union, right? I mean, that's, because I think when it, when it comes down to it, we got to put food on our people's yeah. tables, right? And we've been out out of contract for two, going on two years, three months yeah. now. And I think if you want to entice people to come here, they want to show that, hey, yes, Seattle is very difficult to be the, the police because it's politically charged here. So therefore, you have to incentivize, incentivize the human beings to want to come here. Yeah. And the only way you do that is by providing public political support, which is hugely needed. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, financial means because nobody's going to want to come here. I mean, we're dangling out thirty k for laterals. Yeah. They're not really knocking down the door. Yeah, thirty k is a lot of money, but we're out without a contract. And I think if you want to retain your current people, I would like to see command from the chief's office or from the mayor's office. Hey, let's start p- pivoting to not only talking about streamlining approaches for recruiting. How about let's get a labor contract for the union to retain our current people? What are your thoughts on that? No, I completely agree. In fact, I actually do have conversations with the mayor's office on trying to push forward on, uh, on these discussions. Um, actually talk to some of the city council people that say, Hey, when a contract comes before you, I need you to, I need you to approve it. 
Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like that's going to be one. I can't, I can't wait on these things right now. When you think of officers, there was, you know, they didn't get a, 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 any sort of uh, COVID raise. They didn't get any, you know, um, uh, when you come to think about all these other agencies that provided kind of some retention incentives. I go, and our officers are still down three years without having a pay raise. And so I said, we need, we need some, we need this. To yeah, so you forward. think so, that getting a contract would lead to the numbers that the mayor talks about and you want to talk it, about in terms of trying to get to 1,400 cops because... I think it would improve it. I think it would improve it. I think I think that there's there's um, there's still more to be done. Um, And as we've discussed before, there's things that I think that other agencies. You know, I've evaluated what other agencies are doing. Um, You know, some people have take home cars. Some people have workout on duty. Some people have uh, other incentives that they're offering. I think Port of Seattle has a medical retirement, and I think that. That's that, a big get if we could get that. Yeah, and I think medical retirement is, is something that, you know, you talk to agencies across the country, and uh, and that's a huge incentive. Um, and uh, I think that that's something that could be achievable here. And it would be a game changer for laterals coming in. Um, I think it'd be a game changer for, you know, people that can think long-term about what they want in a career. And uh, and so I think those are the kind of things that we we really need to start thinking about is because it's not just your your pay raises you you want because that's where people also see it in their check I mean they know that inflation is going up sure and uh, but they're also figuring out okay in long term like what is my health going to be what am what am I what where is what are the things that are that I I can have that helps me support my own wellness you know um, later on in my mm-hmm. career and I think. Those are things that you want to try to figure out. How do you how do you get? So, and what would be the draw? Let's just say, let's just say outside of the contract conversation. What's the current draw for people to want to become Seattle cops? I think right now the current draw is is that you want to be part of something bigger. And this city has always provided some level of specialness, uh, specialties, um, specialty units, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also provided that level of unique you know policing. It, being a top. I think this is the top agency in the country when it comes to the way we do our business, the way we do work, the way we keep you know crime relatively low, even though its crime has gone up. We have what fourteen homicides this year, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I mean, when you think about Tragic. when you think about all the things in in other cities like Baltimore, who's you know experiencing high levels of, of homicides, you look at DC, you know, you look at all these other major cities uh, that we compete with. You know, we keep the, the officers do a very, very good job of really policing the city, and so it, it's a very. I think those are the kind of things that you you want to do. You're 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 policing the excellence. You're policing the service. You're policing the your commitment to to helping others. And I think that's what what draws people to it. However, you want to also feel valued and respected, and that's where the contract comes in. That's where those incentives come in. That's where you know at the end of your career that you're appreciated, you know, and with some level of support on the on the back end of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to just hear it publicly from our elected leaders in command. Just yeah. so my request to you, sir, is just when you do the public stuff, if you could trip, pivot to that obvious uh, elephant in the room, yeah. because I think that's why we're losing so many people. Yeah, no, and actually, I've, I've spoken in, in a variety of different uh, events. And that's actually some of the things that I've been, and, and people are appalled that, that we've gone this long. And well, it doesn't make much noticed. business sense. Yeah, and um, and you, you know, so these are all things that we want to make sure that we're we're getting for our officers. That our officers have you know the right equipment. I think right now that's one of the things that I've been investing in. Um, 
as equipment, getting people's, you know, even the ballistic shields and all that other stuff yeah. that are basic things that you think that we, we would have covered. We had, you know, now are finally starting to be able to, those that are expired, we're starting to replace that kind of stuff. And so, so those are, those are good things, but they're not, they're not everything. Sure. Yeah. The, and I, I like the fact that just kind of what you said a few minutes ago in terms about officers still doing the arrests. Um, some of the feedback that I get, and this is the yin and yang of our relationship, right? Is like, Hey, the chief puts out congratulations stuff, but it's more so based on like, um, um, mental health calls, but, uh, and then also like, um, health calls. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what they would like to see more is, Hey, great arrest. Mm-hmm. Good work getting this violent offender off the street. Here's so-and-so doing excellent work. Keep up the good work. So that's some of the feedback that I would get. So that's more so internal communication. And then the outward communication would be, hey, we need more cops, right? And contract pivoting to that instead of just there is recruiting conversation, right? They're both are intertwined. Very important. I appreciate you answering that question. No, and and I I, I do want to give people some level of hope. We actually, you know, at this time, uh, we've hired close to almost uh, 27 hires last year at this time. We were left with about 7 to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so thing, the numbers are looking a lot better. Um, but they're not the way, they're not where we, we want them to be. I mean, yeah. but it, is, it's, it feels like we're finally getting through a lot of it. We actually have hired more people than have separated. Um, and I know that there's there's idea that people might be leaving the department. But right now we're actually at a place where we actually have hired more than than are separated. And that's a that's a win for us at yeah, this time. Takes the, yeah. no, I hear you because last year we were surely not there. I mean, we had we were at like seven uh, hires and we had thirty two people left, so yeah. we were in the hole quite a bit. And and to be very similar to where we're at uh, now, you, you feel like okay, are are we starting to feel like we're turning the corner? And this year being a rebuilding year and then really seeing, you know, what, what we're actually doing, getting a contract, what that could look like for, you know, for next year and what we're really trying to build up. Do you think we're going to get one with this current council? You know, I don't, that, that I, I don't know. You know, I'm hoping that I've, I've expressed through my interest with all of them that if there is a contract that is negotiated and, in, in, you know, fair and a fair process, then we need their support to be able to, and to be fair, we are in current contract negotiations with the city. Yeah. Um, and that shows that we're both, both partners are acting in good faith, going to the bargaining table. Right. But it's definitely a political problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're hopeful we'll get back to 1400 cops at some point. I believe so. And I think that if we can have some other kind of unique initiatives to be able to get there, I think it actually, we can get there quicker. Okay, and then uh, column that came out today, Seattle Times, Danny Westneat. I um, hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. I always heard Westneat or Westneat. Uh, talking about the Seattle Seesaw. Well, I think that's an appropriate title because we are in a seesaw environment. Traffic tickets from police have dropped 90%. Um, basically, before the pandemic, and he fails to mention the riots in here, but in 2018, um, he had been stopped roughly with 28,000 other Seattle drivers getting ticketed by the police for non-criminal driving infractions. And then 2010, Seattle police doled out an, an average of roughly, roughly 40,000 tickets annually, more than 100 moving violation tickets a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but he claims cops have all but stopped. They gave out only 3,863 tickets for the year of 2022. That's a 90% drop from the 2020s pre-pandemic, and I would add riots average. Um, he basically sums it up by saying 
City leaders have expressed crisis-level concerns of late about the rise in traffic accidents and deaths in Seattle. Last year, there were 28 deaths and 10,000 accidents, and the year before, there were 30 deaths, the most in 15 years. This, though, the city is seven years into a safety campaign to eliminate all traffic-related deaths by 2030. I think, in my opinion, it's a direct result of the defunding move that's impacted this agency, and then we basically don't have enough people to to do traffic enforcement, well, we had which to, would prevent deaths. We had to eliminate the traffic unit. Yeah, we and did. And so, and in our motor vehicle, our motors, uh, we we haven't been really being able to fill those because our priority is trying to keep people in, in the streets or handle certain investigations. And so, uh, yeah, we've we've lost quite a bit of people to be able to just do that. We're finally building up our DUI squad, and we're finally starting to kind of get people to, to specialize in that work. Just chipping but, away on but, it. But before, shoot, in 2020, we had none of these. Like, all of that had to be moved back into patrol. And we were literally hodgepodging all of the work. To, yeah, we're triaging. And, and when you look at, even with COVID, you had less cars on the street. So you, you when you start to look at 2020 and 2021, in 2022, you know, more cars are starting to come back. People are starting to do a little bit more. But still being down your staffing, still not having those specialty units that are really focused on it. But then I also would say that right now, you know, we're also, we've also adjusted to that, the um, uh, what do you call it, red light camera system. And, you know, we've actually been hitting our marks on, on, on those tickets. So we have an officer literally certifying those, uh, certifying those tickets. And, uh, and I think that we are, we are seeing some level of enforcement that is getting done in, in different aspects of it, yeah. which is completely, it's just changed. And I think the dynamics of the city has changed. And yeah, I mean, I definitely the dynamics of the city has changed. I mean, one quote here, two quotes here. Peer agencies are moving away from enforcement as a leading strategy, pointing instead to a safe systems model and designing roads to be self-enforcing. And then this comes from a quote from current city council member Tammy Morales at a hearing last week, and no one disagreed with her. It basically says, quote, I don't think any of us want police involved in traffic stops, unquote. So for me, I mean, the anti-police fervor is still existing from our current elected officials. So it's going to be very difficult to try to get a contract. Um, and then, but we got to keep trying. Well, right? we still need to be doing some level of enforcement. I mean, we have, 100%. we have a lot of, you know, accidents that, you know, can be prevented. Education is a big component of that. That is the level that, that comes in with that level of enforcement. Sometimes we're, we provide education, we give warnings, and sometimes uh, we don't. But it is, we do have to make sure that, that our officers are, are out there, you know, patrolling and, and, and finding when those traffic violations happen. And if they're able to safely do it, when I mean safely do it, because um, they're short-staffed and they're like either going from call to call to call. And so sometimes even for their work right now, uh, I think it comes back down to making sure that we have adequate staffing, right? And so yeah, everything's about staffing. And, I mean, he goes back into the more statistics. In 2018, the city charged 447 drivers with reckless driving, a criminal misdemeanor, city attorney's office. Yeah. Last year, there were only 149, a 67% drop. Reckless yeah. driving really is down by two thirds, he asked a question. And then, um, of course, he, he goes into, you know, the, one of the talking points is, of course, there have been serious problems with some cop stops over the years with inequitable enforcement imposed on black and brown people. I would push back on that and say, you know what? Well, the Department of Justice says we're in full effect of compliance. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would say that does that doesn't exist. And um, I just 
that seems to be a, a go-to talking point, which I think is unfortunate, which creates more of an atmosphere where cops are like, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with this type of atmosphere. Um, but um, he basically sums it up and says, I think the overall claim of the article is, hey, we just need more cops yeah. back to enforcement. Yeah. Right? That is what people need. I don't believe that the community as a whole really feels this way. They're just concerned about their public safety. No. Right? Leave them out of that political conversation. Just give me a cop one. You need, yeah. need a cop. So uh, I think my charge to you would be, hey, we need to get that community um, services center, the uh, CSCC as it's called, yeah. for the radio and 911 communications back into police control. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a, a bit of a divide there for sure. Um, would you like to see them back in... I always do. Um, I always like How to do see we our there? family. <laughs> so I, I want to give you a little bit of the, the, the idea that I always want to see all of our units back in, in, the, in the department. I mean, that's just, we got parking enforcement back. Uh, it allows us to have much more coordination of when we're working special events to yeah. when we need uh, them on traffic control at an accident scene or whatever it might end up being. Um, you know, victim support team is also what was left our department and that it creates a, you know, I'm talking to families all the time and feel like that it's not as coordinated as, um, as they feel like it should be. And, uh, and, you know, having them in house and having all those things, it's not just an MOU. There's a lot of other, you know, legal logistical issues that are in it. And then when it comes to CSCC, I know they're looking at building a third department and, um, and figuring out what that looks like, but, uh, for when it comes to the 911 dispatch, like there are certain things that we need that, I mean, we're the main customer, right? We're, yeah. we're the ones that are literally out there trying to, you know, answer those 911 calls. We're trying to make sure that the non emergency line gets answered. So then when people have less emergencies, maybe we can get to online reporting system, whatever that might telephone reporting, you know, whatever that system might work. I would love for me, it's about making sure that everything's coordinated. Um, if the city decides to go in the direction of a third department, then obviously we've got to have those discussions about what that looks like and how, um, how we can support, you know, the efforts of what that third department might end up doing. You're talking about alternative form yeah, of policing. Yeah. Again, and, I, and again, I think so again, we're having a conversation. I mean, we're bargaining some of those yeah, things, right. But yeah. again, for the, for, for the listeners and viewers, like we're talking about as, as public safety continues to devolve here, we're still talking about alternative forms of policing. So that's a political conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we were, I, I think we're all trying to figure out, like, being that we don't have enough officers, how can we actually still provide, you know, a similar service or an altered level of service uh, to it? But, you know, what we we know is even when when the, the mental health laws kind of changed last year, some of the biggest uh, advocates for getting officers engaged in this again were the mental health because they realized they were getting less ITAs. They were getting less people referred in their system because you didn't have the officers. So for the audience, what's an ITA? So uh, involuntary treatment act. Uh, So, so when we're dealing with somebody in behavioral crisis, we have the authority along with them into custody. Yeah. Along with designated crime uh, uh, crisis responders to be able to take somebody into custody. Mm -hmm. And when the law changed, we didn't have like, there was less of the officer participating in that work because of the use of force. And, and so what we found ourselves doing was, Hey, well, we're going to voluntarily get them in compliance, but if they don't take it, they don't take it. Yeah. And, uh, and then mental health, a lot of organizations were like, we're not getting the people that we 
we count on to serve. And, uh, and so they actually were some of the biggest advocates say we need officers that, that involved in this because these people do need uh, a certain level of service and, and we're getting, we get them through involuntary treatment acts. Yeah. And, um, and I've been doing that for a very long time too. Well, it's about 33. So, you know, 98 and a half percent of the time, none of our, our behavioral crisis contacts result in any level of force. Mm hmm. I mean, it, it is almost every single time we end up handling a situation when we be in a crisis that there's no force being used. That's amazing work. <clears throat> but it's great work. But aside from that, you, we know that we also, about 33% of the contacts, usually on average every single year, result in an involuntary treatment. So that means that we have to take somebody into custody to get them the help they needed because they're a grave danger to themselves sure. or a grave danger to others. And, and so we, that actually dropped down to about 24% after that law was enacted. That's what the numbers are showing. Yeah. Right? And so now we're finally getting up to about 31%, 30, you know, close to that 32%. So that's, we're finally starting after the law is kind of amended and adjusted. We're starting to feel like things are starting to come back a little bit, mm-hmm. but they still feel that like I was just talking with uh, some of the mental health organizations and they're still feeling like, gosh, you know, what can the numbers be? And we're still not getting everybody into the treatment. And, you know, DCRs are backed up like six, six weeks. Designated uh, crisis responders are backed up six weeks. So is there a way that we can get officers engaged? That's great. I would love to. I have to have officers. Yeah, know? we and have so, to have that, that safety component. So, so again, it comes again, back down to the recruiting. Yeah, so recruiting and, hiring, and, and retaining. Retaining, Jeez. retaining. So Contract. I got you. A um, <laughs> couple more things and I'll let you go. Yeah. Again, I appreciate your time. Um, we talked about bargaining issues. So one of the things that came up was that Trulio conversation, right? And I think our members are going to want to hear from you is like, Hey, this is, you know, we fully support technology and obviously support training. I mean, you written, I love training, yeah. right? You become a more professional officer. You have a great skill set. Um, the employees didn't mm-hmm. know that yeah. this software existed. Mm-hmm. So I would just ask why. Why weren't why weren't we informed? Because what we do is we t- we test out different things to see if it even has a function for what we're what we're trying to achieve. Um, for us, it was really focused on quality of service. So we're trying to see like, hey, how do we highlight good work by officers and what you know and what the sentiment is uh, mm-hmm. in in those conversations. Trulio can do a lot of things. So people so, but, well, people don't know what tr- I had this in the pr- previous podcast with Bob Scales. Um, Trulio basically is a software company that uses artificial intelligence to analyze officers' body-worn video um, conversations with community members that we engage with. So um, what we didn't know at the time, meaning the employees of the cops that were using the the body-worn videos, is that this Trulio company using artificial intelligence was analyzing the words we would use interaction with the public and also analyze the public's interaction words they were using. And then eventually rate the officer's professionalism. Mm-hmm. It's more of an accountability arm. So I just go ahead and finish so, that point. So yeah. So in the in the sense of we also want to also be able to see okay can we can we use it for in an aggregate system? Is there ways that we can improve training? Is there uh, is there other things that we can do to actually highlight the good work that officers look in this situation? We looked at this, you know, body cam. Look at how the officers de-escalated the situation. This is stuff that we want to make sure we push out to you know community members. The system is literally in its infancy. I mean, it's not like it still struggles with identifying whether it's the suspect or the suspect or the officer, and and that communication. It still has its, its, its 
it's just it's just kind of a new system. So we we wanted to test it out. We, there is promising data out of the Trulio system that I think could be good for you know in and and for us to be able to analyze it. <clears throat> At that time, I was like, well, look, like I'm already getting out of our uh, Spider Tech, which we had we had created Spider Tech for. Um, two reasons. That versus so versus What's Spider Tech so, for the yes. Yeah, so Versaterm is a company that we use for our CAD system. Spider Tech computer is computer automated dispatch. Yeah, computer. Sorry, uh, no problem. Spider Tech is actually a product of the Versaterm mm-hmm. uh, system, and what they can do is when somebody uh, calls nine one one and officers delayed in being able to get there, the Spider Tech can actually send them a message or call them on an automated system to just let them know either hey, officer might not be responding. Uh, or it, it's going to take still a little longer. Yeah. It also has the second component that we're, we launched on that is that uh, when it when you get assigned a detective, it actually can call that person and let them know, hey, your case has been assigned to Detective uh, Joe Smith. Yeah. So more and, com- more communication to the community member. Yeah. So so that's so Spider Tech. We we launched those two uh, options uh, this last year. And and in that they also said, hey, we have this quality of service uh, data where we can actually on a nine one one call after somebody calls, we can actually do a follow up survey, automated system, and be able to capture you know data. What that shows to us is that right now, like officers are exceptional in their when they respond and how they're interacting with the person. It's amazing. Just we're like nine out of ten. We're beating like Delta Airline. We're beating many Fortune five hundred companies in their quality of service. So we had tried this out just as, again, as part of it, you just kind of want to just test things out and see, does this work for us? Is this going to capture what we want to capture? So when I when we tested this out, I said, perfect. This is actually what we're, we're trying to achieve because what we're trying to achieve is officers' good work. That's really what we want to see. Is there good work by you know officers? And if there's stuff that we need to look at as far as training, then we'll, we'll, we'll do that. <clears throat> so in that when Trulio came up, I'm like, okay, there's still there's still issues with it. It's still not you know perfect for our system. Let's just get rid of it. So I ended up making the decision, you know, after concerns of of the officers, hey, we'll get rid of it and we'll, we'll keep on with Spider Tech and see how that ends up developing. That doesn't mean later on we don't we won't look at Trulio and seeing after everything kind of launches out, other other agencies start to use things. Hey, this might be a system because we know that in this city. <coughs> Body cam is going to eventually, sometimes at some point, be evaluated, and just officer conduct. At some point, that might be something that's kind of a norm. It might not be right now, but it, we have to start thinking about like what's ahead of us. What what are we going to end up doing to f- constantly try to figure out how do we evaluate just everything that that we're doing, um, and then also be able to push out good work. Yeah, I mean, I think pushing out good work is always good. I mean, do you envision public affairs having much like what I see with like bigger agencies like LAPD, they have a almost like a body worn video analysis in terms of force explanation, pretty, pretty damn quick. Right. I mean, I would, that'd be something I would like to see happen, but obviously the staffing is limited for us to pull that off, but highlighting the good work we do. But I think more so the employees, the people that we represent are always basically saying, well, this, it appears in its face, Trulio was done there, uh, put in place for an accountability conversation. And I, and I think when it's being masked as far as, hey, if we're, there's training that we need to look at, well, then we'll look at it. But then that gets into more the accountability conversation. So we always are going to maintain, like, how much more accountability do we, do we really need? Yeah. I mean, we, we're in the most accountable agency in the United States of America, hands down. 
we fully support accountability. I think when Director Meyerberg of Office of Police Accountability was in place, we had a 70% drop in discipline appeals. Yeah. It's pretty profound. Yeah. Right? I mean, we hold ourselves accountable. My fear is that this was done behind their backs to a degree yeah. because we're worried about the activist conversation about we need more accountability. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, so, you know, I mean, we've had a discussion yeah. on this before, and we're not going to air that out here just for the public to understand, like, we support tech. Yeah. Just let people know. Yeah. Just let the employees know that this is going to happen. No, I, I hear you. And, you know, again, we're also going to try and, and test out stuff to see what works, what doesn't work. And it might not be, it might be stuff that just, hey, like, there's good merit to it, but we'll never end up utilizing it. But speaking to the other part of what you brought up, actually, we just hired a video specialist that, oh, will, nice. be, that will be literally going through almost on a daily basis, body worn camera. To highlight for accountability purposes, no, not accountability. <laughs> to highlight and push this out in public affairs, there's going to be out of public affairs unit. Um, I'm saying that not to skirt accountability. <laughs> I'm just being facetious with a Trulio conversation. <laughs> but uh, literally to to push out a lot of the great work. I mean, we, we do outstanding work. We pushed out some, you know, great. Like we we dealt with somebody with a machete, um, and just officers were, you know, they end up having to still use a 40 millimeter R1 round, a sponge round, and but they took the person in custody could have been like five years ago where we might've ended up shooting and killing them. Officers talked to them. So professional. I mean, there's so many cases that we've got this on a daily basis that I really want to make sure that we're showing to the public what we're doing and yeah. how we're doing it. And I think it's exceptional work. And so we actually just are bringing in uh, this video specialist to be able to look on a well, daily good. basis. That's positive. Yeah. And I think news. that because we want it, we want to highlight every aspect of our work. That's why we just need to drown out the activists who continue to push a, a negative, you know, narrative about us. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's spot on from you. Well, and I think to your point is also, you know, for, for activists to know that two other markers that we're doing, we actually, in 2022, we reduced use of force down by 48% compared to 2015. Well, I think that's because we've lost a lot of people. And we, people are hesitant to go hands-on, quite honestly. But, you know, you, you bring up these good points, yeah. But we also made more arrests. We recovered more guns. Were you doing it with less force and less complaints? Like, we had over 900-some complaints just four years ago. And now we're at 450. And you're right. We, we have lost officers, so you have less officers that are... Yeah. Uh, you know, having it, but I actually think our officers are being more professional. Okay, I think our officers are doing exceptional work under under. You hear that, activists? Cops are professional. <laughs> I, th I think they're doing it under extraordinary circumstances, and we're going to be pushing out a lot of that work. Yeah, because you'd like to I, hear that. Because I think that you know, when you show that the body camera videos, and you show that hey, w when we're dealing with somebody with a knife, and the extraordinary work that is taken to try and save that person's life, that's what that's you know that's what this community wants. Okay. The, the community wants that, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, kind of closing it out here. What's your favorite food? <laughs> well, if anybody knows me, it's, it's always Mexican food. So, uh, but uh, uh, I did. Um, uh, we did for a fundraiser for the Seattle Police Foundation. Yeah. Uh, we actually auctioned off uh, a tamale night uh, with the chief. And really? Yeah. Were you? Are you cooking? I was with my parents and uh, cooking, and uh, we made tamales, and uh, it went for like twenty five thousand dollars. That's a damn expensive <laughs> tamale. Hey, you know, honestly, it was extraordinary. But you know, again, the funds go to a to Good to cause. support support the department. It but tells me that there's people out there that that support us and actually, they're reasonable people. And the second one actually went for fifty thousand dollars. 
because we actually expanded it out to have what? other people. So it actually went for well, 50, good for you. So, That's great. Good for them. So, right. So, Thank you, you know, supporters. It is, it's for me, it's about, you know, I love, I love tamales. I love tacos. I love enchiladas. I love all Mexican food. And, uh, but it's actually great to see the community come in and, and support it and have just a night with me where we can just talk about some of the different issues that, you know, the city faces Good. and, and also show the support for the department. Okay. Um, what can you do better? You know, I think everything, I think we're all trying to, you know, work through extraordinary circumstances, uh, circumstances. I have short staffing. I'd love to make sure that I could answer everybody's response and everybody's mm-hmm. need. Um, and we know we can, and right. I know I can. And, right. uh, and I think that, you know, for me, I try to be out publicly everywhere. I try to even, you know, be uh, responding to, to scenes because it is so important for me on homicide scenes. Um, I try to make sure I'm out there supporting the officers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can always do more. And I think that, you know, we're at a command staff, too. I, I wanted my command staff to be, you know, active and, and engaged with our officers. I want them. I want, you know, I think that we all know that some of our first, the, the crucial part is our first line supervision um, and leadership. People will leave the department based on sometimes their sergeants. Oh yeah. And, and their command and, and their command. And I need, you know, I really want our command to really make sure that they're doing exceptional work to making sure that they feel supported, that their officers feel supported down their, down their chain of command. And, and so I've got to make sure that, that I'm doing a better job of feeling, giving them the, that level of support as Fair well. Fair enough. Appreciate that. Um, you got a question for me at all? You know, I actually, uh, what, what, what could Spog do better? I, for, for me, honestly, I think what you guys are doing as far as fighting for officers contracts to have, uh, feel that level of respect and valueness. I, I think you, we've worked exceptionally well. You, uh, there's been cases that are very difficult, uh, cases where I've had to terminate people. And I think that yeah, it's been fantastic to know that you realize like, this is not a case that we want this officer to be out in the streets. And um, you've reduced that level of, of grievances on some of those cases. Yeah, I mentioned and, that earlier, and, 70% drop. So for people that don't know, and I want to get into this, so I'm running out of time, but I'll be very brief here. Um, Laudamo process is basically any public sector employee has the right to face their final disciplinarian. In our case, it's the chief of police, backed by city charter and in uh, our contract. So for a Laudamo process, which is obviously granted by the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a right that we have as public sector employees. And then when we have somebody facing discipline in front of the chief, the director of uh, OPA is there, there's a city attorney there, and then uh, there's a director sometimes from HR, and then whatever bureau chief that employee uh, is employed by. Um, And then I'm sitting there with the the member, and then we state our case trying to counter what the uh, OPA has in their narrative. Um, that's kind of how the process works. So that's what the chief is describing. But it's it's a bit of a political task for you if you overturn the director of OPA. At least you have to explain things to the city council in terms of a formal letter. It's like, hey, this is why I disagreed with the civilian-led office of accountability. In this our case, office of police accountability. That's a bit of a tough hurdle for you mm-hmm. to climb, right? Yeah, that's a political problem. Yeah. So. And- and I and I've had to do that, and I, it was pretty, you know, daunting, you know, political, you know, challenge. But, you know, I had I had done that, and um, because I felt like at that case, I had I had to make sure that I I was holding true to what I believed mm-hmm. was right, and um, and those aren't always easy decisions because you do get hit from a lot of different directions, oh, yeah. and uh, and so you try to make sure that you know, and you know, in these cases, they're pretty complicated cases. 
and you know and you're making decisions on um on people's livelihood and and i think you know we've had to have that understanding of you know we know we don't want any bad officer going out and patrolling because it makes it much more difficult for our our officers on that are trying to do the good work yeah and uh so you feel like you have the ability to overturn a director of opa i have on a case by case case, on a case by case basis you know i think that that's some of the challenges that you're trying to work through is that like when you have a case sometimes i've had to send it back for for further review because there hasn't you know there's still more information or questions i i need answered um and more often than not when we take it to arbitration say we grieve whatever decision you make or whomever that makes the the chief decision um you know, more often than not, we're successful because we actually can introduce, you know, uh, witnesses and whatnot and thoroughly articulate our way to like throw, yeah. put holes into the, to the investigation file. Yeah. And I think sometimes you recognize what you're saying is you kick it back up for more information. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Um, one more request would be, uh, we would like as the union to get more cops that are currently employed on the podcast to just talk about incidents, obviously excluding stuff that's being under legal review, right? Yeah. That's one of the problems is that the departments can't really get out there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't really get out there publicly and state the facts. We can only say what we can, we're allowed to publicly say because yeah. that's a legal situation going on. We don't want to expose the city certain things, but my request would be, can we, can we get more officers on here to be able to talk? Because obviously policy says that, you know, you have to be approved by the chain of command. And sometimes, I mean, I know that, the Office of Police Accountability, the director is saying that this is union speak, but I just want to ask you, are we allowed to have more cops on here? Let me see what I can do. Um, but actually, one of the things that I want from the video specialist uh, is actually to do small interviews when they do, when they pull a video and just even asking the officers, like, you know, at this time, what were you thinking? Or, you know, what was your, what was your thought, you know, thoughts in this situation? Because you recovered this person, sure. that, you know, from a, from you know, burning building and, you know, you know, how did you, how did you end up, you know, uh, thinking about that and um, just kind of g- getting to that humanization of, of a situation. Well, that's, I think that's what people want to want to see. They want to hear from cops. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so you're I, saying, so, that, so, so you're I, saying we can have people on the podcast. So let me get back to you, but I, I, we are going to political answer from the chief. <laughs> we are getting to that point where I think that there are things that we want to make sure that we're highlighting that humanization of, of our officers because it's such a difficult job. It's such a difficult job. And, and so I want to make sure that people understand the difficulties that, that our officers are under. So I want to get to that point. All I'm right. Just, no problem. I'll, I'll hold I'll your feet to the fire on yeah. that, but Hey, I really appreciate your time. I Thank mean, it, you. it, it, you know, I mentioned earlier that we have some type of, con- you know, sometimes we disagree, yeah. but the, and the, you know, for the people who say like, you know, Hey, you needed to ask this and this and this to hit you harder. Mm-hmm. If you and I, if you and I are at odds, we don't get work done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and we've had our disagreements for sure, but we've been respectful and professional. So I just want to let people know that I, I, I appreciate you being on here. I know it's difficult to come on the, you know, it sometimes maybe a difficult decision optics wise for you to come onto the union podcast. But, um, I think what a little straight to the, to the civilians out there that, you know, cops are getting together just to try to get done. And then we have the dichotomy of our roles is on display here. Um, but thank you. No, thank you. Appreciate, appreciate your time. It. No, appreciate it. Thanks. I say, Hey, thanks for, um, sticking around to, to, to listen to Chief Adrian Diaz of the Seattle Police Department. And if you can share this podcast, like and subscribe, and maybe we can have uh, a better hand in 
thwarting some of the activist false narratives against police, and then uh, we can continue to uh, hold the line. Appreciate everybody's time. Thanks, Chief.